0: All right, um, we're going to pray, and Pastor Cameron's going to come up and continue his series on eternity. Wow, it's powerful. It's powerful. Guys, there's no greater question that you could ever ask yourself, really. Think about it. What's going to happen to me? Right? It's very sobering, pretty intense, don't mean to be heavy, but that's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. So let's just let's just close our eyes right now and we're going to ask Holy Spirit to to be here with us. You're so good to us. Father, you're so good to us. And the fact that you sent Holy Spirit to guide us and be with us and comfort us is mind-blowing, Lord. Right now we ask, Holy Spirit, we invite you here right now, your manifest presence in this place. I pray for your unique and supernatural touch on Pastor Cameron right now in the name of Jesus, that every word that comes out of his mouth is anointed by you. We have a responsibility too, Lord, as as we're sitting here listening. Please open our ears and open our hearts right now to receive the word. Right now, let's just make a commitment. This is going to change us today. This is going to change us. We should not walk out of this building the same as we walked in. We give you all the glory for everything that you've done and are doing in our midst. We love you, and we honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Jill. So I had a request this morning um, to, because initially, like three weeks ago or so, I said that we were going to do name tags for like three or four weeks or so, and uh, I had a request this morning, to extend the usage of name tags um, throughout the rest of the year. So, um, <laughs> I see some of you, like, super cringe-faced right now, right? Others of you are like, yeah, we, you know, because you're still only learning, like, I was talking to someone um, this morning, I was talking to Linda this morning, uh, and I know Linda's name because it's written on her name tag, right, and I was talking to her about how I know all of you by your face, right, but that many of you only know each other by the back of your heads, right, that's the way primarily you see one another, right, How many many people here went to church or grew up in a church where um, at some point during the service, the pastor or the hostess with the mostess or something like that made you stand up and greet someone around you? Oh, look look, look, at this. (laughs) So since we're doing everything with kind of like a throwback vibe this month, Um, Let's just press the turbo button on the awkwardness in the room here a little bit. Um, And why don't you just take two or three minutes and stand. (laughs) Listen, listen, primarily, I want you to do the hard thing and say hi to someone you don't already know. Okay? So why don't you stand up, introduce yourself to someone, and then we'll come back together. All right? All right. Listen, back to your isolation, alright? <laughs> I have this theory and um, and I think that I think that we grow best in the Lord when we're in groups, not in rows. All right? So if we don't if we don't take what we hope happens in our heart, Every single time we sit in a row, and we carry that that the heart of that into a group, right? It um it can be it can be very difficult, all right, to uh, to grow. I'm um I'm I'm committed. Uh, I really am committed. No matter how awkward it sometimes gets, and if there is one definition, if there is one way to describe like true community. I might say that true community is just awkward and hard, right? Um, because when you commit yourself to growing in community, you're you're committing yourself to to be growing in relationship alongside and with um, and in process or in journey with other people. And um, I don't know, like I am not weird. But everyone else is. <laughs> That's what we think, right? I'm, I'm normal. Everyone else, man, there is something wrong with them. Right? They're hard to get along with. They say things I don't like. They say things I don't agree with. They have a lifestyle choice that i don't agree with they come from a different place than i've come from there's cultural differences and so when we commit ourselves to growing in community with one another we commit ourselves to the to the messiest aspects of other people's lives or in life in general but let me tell you what the juice is worth the squeeze It is the 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 bond and growth and glory of community, true community that is centered around the gospel will be um, will be like a stream of living water for your parched soul. I'm going to start this morning by reading from the Book of Psalms. A couple of different verses out of Psalm out of Psalm 69, and I, I want um I, I would like as as much as you are able. to hear the honesty of the words of the psalmist here and and consider how uh, the Scripture, especially a lot in the psalm, captures the reality of human experience and then takes that human experience and surrenders it to the Lord. All right. I wonder, I don't wonder. I know that this is the this is the internal experience of, of a lot of people in the room today. Okay? Um save me. O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help, and my throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favor. In your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me and from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. What what I believe is a rhetorical question because I do believe that the Lord was speaking this to me this week. Anyone resonate with the sentiment of the psalmist this morning, right? Yeah. Not many. Uh, not many people that I've had meaningful conversation with over the last year or two, not even just the last week, but over the last year or two, that haven't expressed some kind of feeling like this. Specifically, the line uh, where the psalmist says that the water of life feels like it's at constant chin level, threatening to threatening to engulf and overtake our breath. We might we might struggle to find a, a foothold underneath us, something that is solid and secure, where we know that we can keep our chin above the water. Someplace where we can discover uh, a new, or different, or greater sense of confidence needed, not even to, like, elevate ourselves above the water, but just not to be overtaken by it. And despite what seems all of our best efforts at things like Time management and prioritization and reprioritization. Uh, there seems to be something in the spirit of not even just Christian community, but in all of community lately, um, where we are not ever feeling that we're caught up. We're not caught up physically. We're not caught up emotionally. Uh, we're not caught up um, spiritually. We're always running behind. We're always reacting rather than being proactive. We're um, we're feeling like we're on the brink of drowning every day. We aren't recovering well from things that are um, difficult or are even inconvenient. Right? It's a it's a it's it's a major red flag. You know, when we when we emotionally have something that is. Actually, a very small inconvenience, but that causes um, like the our day or our week or even our month to spin out of control because we can't recover from from it. And the the question that I'm kind of left with, I'm assuming that you're left with as well, is Lord, how? how do you expect us or how can we or what are the steps necessary or what is the thing that I am missing in order to live in a sense of like the the fullness of the joy that is offered to us in Jesus Christ? The answer, I mean, I think at least on the large scale is to Adjust the focus dial on the outside kind of telescope of our perspective, so that we can begin to zoom out and gather in all of eternity's timeline. Because many times, what we what ends up happening is that we um, we view the circumstances of our lives as if we were um, had horse blinders on, right? Or we view the circumstances of our lives as if we were um, walking around with binoculars on solely, right? It's a super fixated or focused perspective in one particular direction. Whereas if we had the uh, ability or the opportunity to adjust the outside dial of the binoculars or the telescope or even our perspective... Where we could zoom out and get an incredible perspective, we would see that our lives are measured on the timeline of eternity, not the circumstance. And and as and as we are learning, and it is a learned, it is a learned thing, it is a, uh, is it a it's a thing that we must practice, it's a it's a thing that we must ask the Lord to help us do uh, every day is to see our lives through the context and the lens of eternity rather than the moment, right? We will gain uh, more and more and better and better perspective at every single moment. But the old adage is, true in this, as it is in every other area of life, is that we didn't get where we're at overnight. right? And so, very rarely do we get to a different or a better place overnight, too. Either, right? We make a series of small choices along the path of our life that lead to incremental and, and substantial change three miles down the road... Rather than just the next, uh, just the next step, and so we we make we make small, even small, sometimes giant, right? Uh, but even daily, moment by moment, small steps of expressing faith in our Lord and Savior, Savior Jesus, who guides us and who directs us to greater eternal perspective. Perhaps the whole uh the whole maybe um one of the major themes of this series that we're doing on eternity, and this is the last of this uh, last of this series, the message today, um is is this the unequivocal proclamation of Scripture is that the way things are now is not the way things will always be. That the great and sure and certain hope of the gospel is that everything that has been broken, every drop of water, right, that, that adds to the flood that's up at the chin, right, every inability to only, to, to find a firm footing, everything that causes hopelessness and darkness and brokenness and fear and destruction in our life. The Gospel proclaims that that, through Jesus Christ, is coming to an end. What you are experiencing now is not what you will experience forever. That Jesus, in all of His glory and majesty, is coming back Not just to judge the living and the dead, which he is doing. Not just to bring justice against the wickedness of this life, which he is doing. Not just to lay bare the current creation that we are living in now, which he will do. But to make all of those things new and redeemed again. To take all of the brokenness and mend it back together to take all of the hopelessness and throw it into the pit for it to never be seen from or heard from again. Not just the circumstances of the things around us, but also the things in us. The things in us that no one sees. The things in us that we don't let anyone see. The things in us that we think make us less than whom God has desired us to be. All of these things Jesus will make New. So the last the last few weeks in this series, we've been talking um, in, I guess at least what makes sense in my brain, somewhat of a logical like progression. Um, so we started out the first week of the series with the reality and promise from Jesus Himself that he is, that he will return. Told his disciples, disciples, right? Um, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I am going to prepare a place for you. um, And where I go, you can also come and be with me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am going away, right? But I am coming back and you can come and you can be with me. Also, so we we tried to substantiate that Jesus will indeed return, and then uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about what what the timing of his return is. Well, okay, if the if it stands to reason that Jesus will return, well, when will that be, and how can we how can we be prepared? Well. Jesus himself said no no man knows the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven, uh, not even the Son, uh, but only the Father, right? And so if you have someone somewhere telling you that Jesus is going to come back this particular day and this particular time because they've figured out the secret code that exists within the um, prophetic literature of the Bible, uh, you, can, uh, you can be sure he's not coming back on whatever day they said that he's coming back, right? But that the way in which the the way in which um, we prepare ourselves for the date that we don't know when it is is that we, um, as Paul says in Romans, that we clothe ourselves with the righteousness of Jesus. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be self controlled and pray, as it says in Second Peter. But that we that we walk in we walk in the. Faith that we have in Jesus, and then we allow the righteousness of Jesus to transform our lives, and so that we are we are living in a consistent obedience to His Word and um, uh, connection with His Spirit, so that we are we are consistently loving others more, um, and we are loving God more, right? And that and that if we are pursuing if we are pursuing the love of God, and we are pursuing um, love for others, and we are being obedient to God's word, then we are, we are as prepared as God asks us to be for his return. Then last week, we talked, uh, of course, about what Jesus will do when he returns. Judge the living and the dead. Um, bring justice to the wicked situations and wicked people um, that exist in this life and our life. And to lay bare the current creation, which has also been subjected to the curse of sin in preparation for the new creation to come. Now, the difficulty in kind of creating a very logical timeline progression um, where we can talk about the end times is that there's kind of there's kind of three themes that kind of twist their way around one another and that, that you, you can't really talk about one without talking about another and without talking about another. And so they all kind of exist in concert with one another and when we talk about the end times and eternity and all of that. The first is that, uh, is that there is an extraordinary, an extraordinary uh, pain, brokenness, Hopelessness and destruction to all of life and to all of creation that sin has caused. That 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 uh, we have we have the, the the pain of the reality that sin has caused. It's what we read about in Psalms, right? The water is up at the base uh, or the bottom of our chin. Our it seems like our relationships are falling apart the fabric of a moral and ethical world seems to be ever like dwindling and and fading away right like that, 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 that sin has has more deeply impacted the fabric of reality than maybe we have ever considered before and the brokenness that sin brings has seeped down into the cracks and crevices of of absolutely every area of life and relationship. So we have that reality, right? And we're always holding that reality in one hand, right? And in the other hand, we're holding in the reality is that is that we have the kind of the process of the return of Jesus and the culmination of all things. And we're gonna talk a little bit about like what the that process is, right? Well, some, some of that process is Jesus' own prediction. He said, I'm coming back. Here's what I'm coming back to do. Here are some of the signs. Here's what's not going to happen. Here's what is going to happen, right? We kind of get a, this step-by-step logical um, progression, so to speak. And then the third thing, so we're holding the pain of sin... We're holding the uh, the the process of the return of Jesus and the culmination of all things. The third thing is is that we have we have we are asking the Lord to increase our hope and faith. That's proclaimed in the midst of all of this, which is the promise of God to make all things new. That we're holding the reality of sin. We see the process that, G- that is lined out in the Scripture about when that day is going to be coming. And the culmination of all things, where God makes all things new. Now, incredibly, incredibly difficult for us to take one of those things and separate them out from the other because they are also deeply intertwined with one another, right? Like, we can't talk about Jesus coming back to make all things new if we have not established in our mind. That there is something that needs to be made new by His return, right? So we have to come to grips with the reality um, of like and the, and the depth of sin. But to only talk about the depth of sin is to ignore the hope that you and I have that this is not how it's always going to be. That the brokenness of life is not how it's always going to be. It's going to change. Jesus is going to change it. that is our hope that is our eternal perspective what we're experiencing now is not what we will experience forever and in between those two things there's kind of this like process and sign and symbol and like when when is it going to happen and how do I prepare and what should I look for and what do I need to do and what do I need not need to do and so I mean, man, I try tried my best to kind of separate and parse those things out, but I'm just like, honestly, I'm not smart enough to do that, and I don't think that they're meant to be pulled apart, right? I think they're meant all to be held together because they all speak towards the same reality. I think that there, um, there comes a natural question that comes up, at the very least, inside of us, um, when we talk about the return of Jesus, and um, I think about it often, um, is how will I experience the moment that Jesus returns? Like, what what will the what will that actual experience be like? Because we anticipate experiences all the time, right? You may anticipate what you're going to be doing after church today and you've thought about it and how how, how you're going to, you know, what the emotions are going to be and what the experience is going to be and, like, you're, you think about it. And, like, I, I don't know if you've ever thought, sat and thought about it, but, like, will I be with my family at that moment, right? Or, or will I be, um, will I be relatively young like I am now or will I be old like some of you and will like <laughs> and will that change the way that I like, I'm like get excited about it or not you know, so like there's this I think there's this natural question it's like what is that moment going to be like for me how, how will I come how, how will I react or respond to it now, we've talked last week about the experience of those who have not surrendered themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ in this life. That, that, that Jesus teaches that they will experience a place called hell, a place of eternal separation from the presence of God, not as some kind of heavy handed or unjust punishment for a, for a seemingly small decision. But as a natural next step of a life that has been lived in continual rejection of God, which is now lived for them into eternity, that their rejection of God in the here and now is continued into eternity, and that the and that the um, that the declaration of God and proclamation of God in those moments is the most just and loving decision that could ever be made. But if you have in in this life right now, in the here and now, if you have repented of your sin, if you seek to follow Jesus in faithfulness and obedience to his word, if you are pursuing the love of God and love for others, how then will you, how then will we experience the moment that Jesus returns? I think the first, probably uh, one of the most pivotal things, uh, because Jesus spoke on it, really, is this reality here, right? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, and you are, uh, and, and you, uh, his spirit lives in you, and you are you are walking with him in obedience every day, right? You are a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Listen, uh, when Jesus returns, number one is you will not miss it, okay? It, it won't be... It's not going to be the return of Jesus is not going to be mistaken for something else, okay? It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be at a far-off place that you're going to hear about on Facebook, right? And you're going to be like, oh, wow, I guess Jesus came back over there in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, That's pretty cool. I didn't know. Um, Thanks for sharing the video. Jesus, Jesus himself says in Matthew uh, chapter 24, he says these things, right? He says, so if anyone tells you, he's speaking about his return. So if anyone tells you, uh, there he is, out there in the wilderness. Do not go out. Or maybe they say, no, 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 here he is, here in the, in the hidden place, in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the son of man. At that time the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the son of man coming on on the clouds of the sky with great power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to another. We read last week from the book of Revelation about the difference between the way in which Jesus came the first time and the way in which Jesus will return when he comes the second time. That the first time was in the inner room out in the wilderness, right? Hidden a babe in a manger, trying to hide from people actually. But the second time that Jesus comes or when he returns, he's coming much different, right? Not in humility and gentleness, but with glory and power, coming on the clouds of heaven as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the arm all of the armies of heaven trailing behind him the moment will not be missed by anyone anywhere no matter what they're doing if they're inside outside in a cave up in the sky right in their house or at work walking on the street or sitting in a restaurant you will not miss it period it is the end of all things. It is the beginning of the end of all things, right? Where where the, the the prince of glory, right? The crown of heaven, the creator and sustainer of all things, returns as he has promised, with all of the pomp and circumstance that is due, his magnificent heavenly glory it will be, even those who want to miss it will be forced to witness it. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord because there will be no mistaking it. We get to hear a little bit more about that moment from uh, the Apostle Paul. He writes a a letter uh, to a church in Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonians, and uh, we see that he kind of lays out a little bit of a, hey, what's going to happen in that moment? Uh, So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I'll read it uh, for us and then we'll go back and uh, parse it out a little bit. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now listen, when the Bible talks about people falling asleep, unless it's literally, unless it's obviously in its context talking about someone who is like taking a nap or lying down to sleep, it's talking about those who have died. Okay? They've fallen asleep. They've died. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have died or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Uh, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive— who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede or go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so will be with the Lord forever verse 18 if you ever if you have ever sat listen to verse 18 with this right if you've ever sat in a place of even though you know i I am a child of God and I have faith in Jesus Christ and I like I am I am going to heaven right I have I am fully confident of the Spirit's presence in me but I'm a little scared of that day. Right? Let me tell you what is that those of us who have hope and faith in Jesus Christ for that day need not be afraid of anything. blown over by the glory and holiness and majesty of God you betcha right? absolutely right but not because we are sitting in a spot of fearful judgment like I hope he doesn't punish me when he gets here but because all of us will bow before the glory and majesty of the Lord right but when Paul says here hey look this is how it's going to happen right Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Do not be afraid. This is not a fearful thing. So what happens here? Well, Paul first is going to substantiate that there are different types of people who are anticipating the return of Jesus. There are those who have already died when Jesus comes back. And because we don't know when that day or time is, it could be today. Literally, it could be tomorrow, right? And if you make it till today, or if you make it till tomorrow, and Jesus comes back, then I guess, guess what? Paul, Paul's telling you how you will experience that moment, right? But he's also talking about how those who have died, but are in Christ, or express faith in Jesus Christ, but have died, how they will experience that moment as well. And he says very clearly here, those, those who are still alive will not precede those who have died. Meaning that when Jesus returns, and he says that right here, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Right? According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not go before those who have died. Listen, here's where he says how it's gonna happen. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. All right, that we already know. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? That those who have those who have died while in faith in Jesus Christ, will be, we'll be, listen, literally and physically and bodily resurrected from their death to join Jesus in the air. It's very clearly what the word says. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together, which means like they're with him, right? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So listen, Jesus isn't even gonna make it to step on the earth, right? Before those who have expressed faith in him at any point in the, all of human history are with him in that place those who have died in him with him in that place in the air those who are still living through faith in him with him in that place in the air in that moment like, the, like listen I don't I don't know how long it's going to take right that's not, the, that's not totally the point right <laughs> The, the point, or the reality is, is that, is, that, um, is that the Scripture really clearly proclaims that when Jesus returns, um, in the moment that Jesus returns, we are with him. We are with him. Um, and I don't know about y'all, but the Bible that I read says, really, anytime we're in the presence of Jesus, we're good. We're good. I've got nothing to fear in the presence of the king. I don't have nothing to be afraid of, right? I don't have any sense of hopelessness or darkness or fear. And then of course, let these be encouraging words. So how will I exp- how will you experience it? How will I experience it? Well, uh, we know what Paul says here. Um, and we know what Jesus says, and I, don't, I can't exactly tell you the things that you're going to feel, because <laughs> I don't know, right? I can't tell you, exactly tell you how long it's going to take for me to get from wherever I'm standing up to be with Jesus. I'm guessing it's not going to be long, but the view is going to be great, all right? And I know that when I'm with him, everything will be okay. But there's also this talk, Um, that paul uses here and in other places in the scripture about um the dead being raised like i mean great aunt gertrude she died like 40 years ago not sure i want to see her in whatever state she's in right now you know what i'm saying like and don't tell me your mind doesn't go there because it went there all right you're like I'm so spiritual. Uh, no, you're not. You thought about it too. You're all thinking about like, well, is it going to be like Zombie Land or? <laughs> um, again, not exactly sure how that's going to work. What I do know, right, is that the Lord created all that has ever been. With the words of his mouth. Okay? Um, and so, I, I don't think that he's super intimidated about the process of giving us a glorified and resurrected body, no matter what the current state of our physical body is. Dead and in the ground for a hundred years, um, eaten by a shark in the ocean, or 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 still alive, right? Like... Like what? What I don't know about what's going to happen, I surrender to what I do know. Okay, is that uh, the the Lord is the Lord is powerful and creative, and everything that we see and know to be true in the here and now in reality is because it it's here because He has created it and sustained it by the breath of His mouth, right? A way for the scripture to tell us how easy it is for him. And it's not something we need to be worried about. But we do see in other parts of scripture how, uh, for instance, the Apostle Paul talks about the resurrection of the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A few selected verses here for you in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses three through eight, verses fourteen, verse fourteen, verse twenty, and twenty-one. It'll be on the screen for you here. Um, what we need to know. What we need to know here is that, uh, and we're going to see this in a minute. But I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag now. Is that the foundation? The foundation for our resurrection from the dead is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, right? so that so that any resurrection that you and I experience stands on the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. Okay? Uh, and if you think about the way in which Jesus was resurrected from the dead, right? He was resurrected in physical form, right? Because the tomb was empty we know that it was a physical body that he was resurrected with or in because the disciples wanted to touch it and they did that Jesus ate, ate a meal with many of his disciples right on the beach and and ghosts don't eat right and but we also know that there was something about the physical resurrected body of Jesus Christ, that was like, but different. That it was glorified. That there was a familiarity, but there was also a sense of awe and wonder. And there was also like a, Jesus, is that you? That it was a glorified, different, but the same. Okay? Okay? So, the foundation of any resurrection or redemption into the future is the gospel and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Paul says this. Let's look at the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 3 For what I have received, I have passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, as to one abnormally born. Jump down to verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That, that all of the hope that we have for the future, all of the foundation that we stand on in faith with Jesus Christ now is, is predicated on the uh, firm faith and belief in reality in the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. That if Jesus has not been raised, Right? Then, then we might as well go home, okay? Because nothing, nothing, in all, uh, nothing in all of creation matters if Jesus himself has not been raised. Nothing in all of our faith matters if Jesus himself has not been raised. But listen to verse 20 and 21 of what Paul says here, uh, kind of wrapping up his... Teaching on resurrection, he says this But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be. Made alive. What Paul says here is that Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, is actually the first fruits or the the first um, like the first step or the promise that all those who express faith in Him will experience the same resurrection. That what happened with Jesus. Is the precursor to what will happen to those in faith? Last week we saw this as part of the process, right? From Second um, Peter chapter three, verses three through sixteen, that the day of the Lord will bring about the destruction of the heavens and the earth, and they will be destroyed by fire, and the earth will be laid bare. But in keeping with his promise in verse 13, we are looking forward to the creation of the new heaven and the new earth, the resurrection of all things, the home of righteousness. In a similar way in 1st Corinthians 15 Paul continues on this theme that he continued with in uh with the Thessalonians you know talking about the process of Jesus coming back and he comes on the clouds and the dead in Christ are raised first and then we who are in Christ but are still alive are joined with him and he continues there in uh we still remain in 1st Corinthians 15 by saying this in verses let's see 51 through 55 He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed, with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And so we're continuing to talk about the process of what happens when Jesus is going to return, what happens to my body. What happens to your body? What happens to the bodies of those or the life of those who have died before us? And Paul begins to talk about how, um, how we, trans- not how we transition, but the, the process of understanding where we will actually end with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a partner letter to the first um, letter in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now Paul is using kind of two, um, two realities. He's communicating, he's communicating to two separate realities by using one example. Right? That we have an earthly body, but we also have our, our earthly home. Knowing what we know about the coming of Jesus, destroying and laying bare all things, Paul begins to talk about how when, uh, that, that there, should be a, there should be a seed of hope placed in us, not just about what will happen to us, but what also happens to the place in which we live and where we will eternally make our home. And he says these things. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Anyone resonate with that? In the midst of the waiting, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we'll no longer be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by this life. Now it is now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That the Spirit living within us is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That by faith in Jesus Christ, God has given us His pre- the presence of His Spirit in us, so that it stands as a stamp and a deposit for what is to come in the future. Therefore, because we have the Spirit, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, then we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due them for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad." I've said this before, uh, but it, I think it's, it, it bears repeating. The process of what happens between Jesus coming back and us being united with Him, or us um, placing our feet in our new eternal home, uh, it is. I think it's interesting, and it satisfies a lot of curiosity. And if the truth of God's word, maybe satiates a little bit of the fear that could be built up into what has happened then i think we we say thank you lord for helping us to see that we have nothing to fear in the process of your return when we are in christ um but i also want to i i think we need to understand that the that the point of the scriptures that describe the process um, is not to just give us the information that we need in order to be able to calculate it and and be be solely or only comforted by knowing the details. Because there are many things that we surrender to the unknown about what's happening at the end by faith, and we can surrender those things... Because the point of the process is not actually understanding the process. The point of the process is to point us towards the reality that in the process we are in the presence of God himself. That, that the process is the uniting of ourselves with Jesus Christ into eternity. And that in the, in the presence of Jesus we have nothing to fear at all. Now, there is one uh, one last scripture, major scripture that I want to deal with here. Listen, if you have just started coming to Conduit in the last few weeks, I usually preach long, okay, um, but not this long, all right? Um, but, um, I want to say I don't care. Um, it's not very pastorally sensitive because I do care about your schedule and your life, but um, I care more about you hearing this okay, than making it to lunch before the Baptists. Um, uh, okay. So, um, Davison's isn't even open today anyway, is it? (laughs) Revelation 21. Okay? Revelation 21. Which is a kind of parallel account to Paul's um, explanation in Thessalonians and Corinthians about, okay, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen, right? The dead in Christ arise first, and then you who are with him, still alive, are going to be um, join him in the clouds, and you're going to see him with the trumpet, you're going to hear the trumpet call, and the archangel, right? And like, whole big, powerful, glory, majesty, awesome, yes, it's finally here. We are not, we, uh, our, our hope has sustained us to the moment of Christ's return, right? But now what? Uh, the book of Revelation is a, oh my gosh, how do I do this in 30 seconds? <laughs> the Book of Revelation is a vision that the apostle John received from the Lord, okay? He was exiled onto an island called Patmos. And in the first first couple verses of Revelation, right? He is it, it he is it is told that he is I received a vision from the Lord and I wrote it down, and here it is, right? And so, when we read Revelation, what we're reading is a vision that John has received from the Lord. Y'all ever had a vision? How about this? Have you ever had a dream? Okay, very similar in scripture visions and dreams. How many of your dreams make good logical sense? I had a dream last night about a Russian wrestler. I'm not kidding. Uh, I don't know who that Russian wrestler represents in my life, but what I do know is that visions and dreams do not always, they're not, they don't always square, right? And they're not always meant to square perfectly with what we know as reality in the 21st century, right? That you can say, can we all agree that there is a fair bit of mystery that is wrapped up both in the character of God, but also in the character of visions and dreams that God gives us. And we hold on to what we know, and we release in faith to Him the things that we don't know, in sure and certain hope that what we don't know now, we will know then. Okay? And so when we... Look at a book like Revelation and be like, oh, what does this mean, and what does this symbolize, and what does that signify, and what's the modern-day equivalent of that, and what's the modern-day equivalent of that? And I'm not going to say that's a fruitless pursuit, but what I'm going to say is you will drive yourself crazy with very little biblically to stand on to substantiate the connections, Right? Because even John himself was like, man, this is really confusing. But uh, I'm going to write it down because the Lord told me to. Okay? There are some things that are confusing and there are some things that that, that are not confusing at all. Okay? And what is not confusing at all is a picture in Revelation 21. Because listen... Listen, um, what we often believe about the coming of Jesus and about his restoration and redemption and salvation of all things is that we usually mean that to, Blake, point to ourselves, right? Our individuals, right? People, right? But the word of God is very clear that when Jesus comes, he's coming to bring salvation and restoration to the whole of creation. To all of the things that have been broken and marred by sin. Now Paul talks pretty significantly about how sin has broken the very world that we live in. Right? In Romans chapter 8. We see this all the way back into Genesis chapter 3, where, where the creation itself is cursed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so for Jesus to return and restore and redeem all things, he's not just saving us from a wicked world, right? He's laying bare the world in which that we now live, so that a new heaven and a new earth may take its place and that we may live with him there. And Revelation 21 talks about this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. We talked about this last week, right, from 2 Peter chapter 3, that at the coming of Jesus, he was going to lay bare all of the elements and all of creation, right, by fire. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, okay? I saw, verse 2, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, From out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now think of it this way: at like as we see Jesus coming on the clouds, right? We're gathered with him. Paul is also seeing that like the new city, right? The the new the new dwelling, the new world, the new place, right? The new creation that we will be living. John's like, it was coming. In out of heaven from God and he uses the example of how of how like when a bride walks down a center aisle it's this like it is the apex moment of the wedding ceremony as everyone witnesses the beauty of the procession of the bride as she comes and the imagery here is the same is that like John's like, "I am seeing this. It's like a be- like, like the new it's like a beautiful bride coming down from heaven. And I heard verse three, a loud voice from the throne saying, "Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be His people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You can say amen. That's a good place for an amen. Amen. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things New. Then he said, "Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true." Now you can go on into the rest of the chapter and read how the city itself, the thing that comes down from heaven, is actually described. What it's made of? Jade. I look. I had to Google what jade looks like, right? But it's beautiful. Jade and pure pure gold that's clear as crystal, right? Um, so a new holy city descends from God out of heaven, beautifully dressed like a bride. But the largest revelation here is not that the holy city is coming down from heaven, right, to make its place here, but the, the largest revelation here is that is this um, verse right here verse three now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them that the last and final moment is the Lord tearing away the veil of the, the, the veil of separation that has been caused by sin the brokenness of the world and is saying now, we are together now we live together now that there is no there is no more separation what was what was ruined in the garden is now reestablished in the resurrection and redemption of the new creation that your presence and my presence eternally and integrally linked with one another And what is the outcome of us dwelling eternally in the presence of God? John says, he will wipe every tear from your eye. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Listen, some of you are living in a season of your life right now where there is only mourning, tears, crying, and pain. Let the words of John, let the words of Jesus, let the words of Paul be our hope that leads us into the sure and certain hope that the way things are now are not the way that they will be forever. That God through Jesus Christ is preparing an eternal dwelling place for you and I where we will be with him forever and all of the pain that we are experiencing in the here and now will be done away with for good and for ever. Paul says we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. That we are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we have not been abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all therefore we do not fix our eyes on what is seen for what is seen is temporary we fix our eyes on what is unseen now because what is unseen is eternal but it's coming let us place our hope fully on what is for what for us is unseen now in this moment. Ensure in certain hope that the glory of God is coming from heaven to make all things new. Everything that you're experiencing now, everything that you're experiencing tomorrow, he will put it all back together and every single moment of pain that you have ever experienced in your life will be wiped from the memory of your soul and you will only experience the glory of his presence with you. That is the hope of eternity. That is the hope of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, turn your hearts to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Believe by him in faith. Choose to live in surrendering to His Lordship now that you may live forever with Him into eternity. Letting all that has, that has caused you pain and brokenness be wiped away with His glory. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we... We trust in you when the water uh, when the water is rising and the wind is blowing, and there is what seems to be nothing but mourning and tears and crying and pain in our lives. Father, I pray that you would. That the seed of eternity, Lord, that the seeds of eternity, which have been planted in us by faith through the proclamation of your word over these next last four weeks, Lord, that they would take root and that they would germinate and produce a fruit, Lord, um, that is full of hope, that is full of promise, um, that is full of perspective for eternity, now, Lord, we are, not, we are not living simply for today. We are not living simply for tomorrow. We, uh, we are living in a trajectory towards eternity where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain, where you will make your dwelling with us. And, Lord, in your presence, all will be made new. We thank you, Jesus, and we worship you. In your name, amen. Brothers and sisters, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear minded and self controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Yes. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of us should use whatever gift we have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should speak as one speaking the very words of God. If you serve, do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Conduit, you are loved. We'll see you next week.